The story is told about a monastery that had a very strict initiation. The initiates were required to have a three-year vow of silence. During that three years, each year at the end of the year, they could go into the, uh, the head uh, monastery office and they could speak two words. Well, one initiate, after the first year, he came into, um, into the, the, the head monk and he said, Well, what do you have for me? And the initiate said, Food bad. <laughs> Get up and walked out. A year passed. He came back. And he was asked, well, what do you have this year? And he said, bed hard. <laughs> Another year passed, his final year. Comes into the, the head office, well, what do you have for me today? And he said, I quit. <laughs> and the head monk said, I'm not surprised. All you've done is complain since you've been here. <laughs> now, I'm not sure it's fair to, to say about this monk that he was a complainer. But the fact of the matter is there's lots of people who spend their entire life complaining. Anytime they come up against something they don't like that's difficult to challenge, it's like... They point the finger of blame and begin their litany of complaint, and they live in the past of those failures. On the contrary, the people who make the most of their lives are just the opposite. When they come to a difficult time in their lives, they look upon it as a time of challenge, as an opportunity for growth. They dig in more deeply. That rely more fully on God. And as we look at Philippians 3 today, that's what I want to talk about. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May these words be your words. And for all that I speak that you have not planned or that you have intended, Lord, I pray that you would fill in the gaps in the hearing. And Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross. That we would only see you and what you have for us this day. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Over the past month, we've been focused on our power source in Jesus Christ. Uh, on the first Sunday, we dealt with how communion reminds us of the call to provoke each other to love and good deeds. We, we then, in week two, focused on how prayer connects us to God's presence and the importance of listening to God. Last week, we explored our place in the family of God as a child of God, heirs of the eternal. This week... We focus on the power of God's positive future, the direction that God has set before us. Now, Paul is an interesting character. As we read his letters and as we hear his story in the book of Acts, we know that Paul has faced <laughs> all kinds of challenges. When he writes this letter, 
that is before us, Philippians, he's in prison. And, and yet, the only time that we hear harsh words from Paul is when he is speaking to a church that has become negative and critical. Paul was one of hope and anticipation. And he was never done in working for the kingdom. Let's look at the passage. What stands out first is forgetting what lies behind. Paul uses the image of a runner in this passage. Uh, It's not completely evident, but the the Greek words there are are all the kinds of words that one would use in a a competition, particularly a, a, a track and field competition. It is the image of an athlete. And the language of athletic competition is is prevalent throughout the Bible. It's used quite often. But Paul is encouraging his readers not to look behind, but to look ahead. Paul knows that any runner worth their salt is never going to look back. Never. We are a new creation, and we have a new future, no matter what has been. First, God is preparing a new future for us. God is preparing a new future for us. And, and the, the, the Bible is full of images and, and instructions about remembering who we are as God's creation and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He, we are reminded of the legacy of the saints that have gone before us and the saints that are among us. But here Paul gives us a warning. He uses the Greek word epileinomia. Epileinomia. It's a strong Greek expression that, that indicates the positive consequences, the positive consequences of overlooking and forgetting the mistakes and failures of the past. Now, certainly, the past does shape us. Our scars, in some way, make us who we are. But friends, they do not define us. There is only one who defines us. I'm aware of an old saying about our lives. You can't drive a car by looking in the rearview mirror. Paul's saying, saying, don't look back. Don't look back to the old life, the failures, the disappointments, the regrets. Whether it's individually or as a church. The moment we look back, we fall. There's something else in this passage. Actually, it's a little later on, down at the end of the passage that was read for you, where Paul says, hold fast to what we have attained. Now, what's interesting about Greek is that it's a... by the way that it's shaped and formed, it will refer back to another passage. And in this particular case, there's an indication that when Paul says, hold fast to what lies um, ahead, he's referring back to that passage of 
leaving behind. Hold fast to what you have attained. Now, at, at first look, it looks like you're to grip, to hold, to stay, to not move. And you, but Paul's saying something much better here. It means to walk by what you have learned as a Christ follower. To live up to the prize, the call of God in Christ Jesus. To stay the course. Do not be swayed. When you put these together, it says, hold. Hold what you know. Put behind the things that hold you back. God is preparing a new future. So let us keep our eyes on the goal. Second, Paul says this, straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, this is where we really see the language of the runner. That straining forward, that leaning into the, in, into the finish line. Um, what's interesting about the Greek here is that <clears throat> Paul is not just talking about leaning into the goal. He's talking about how we get there. He's basically saying that what we feed, what we practice, grows. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's an old saying that if we feed the negative, the negative will grow in our lives. If we feed the positive, the positive will will grow. And as Paul has done on many occasions, he pushes his reader... He uses the word epiterio, uh, which means with great effort, to stretch, to strain, to extend. And In fact, this is the only place in the New Testament where this particular form of of that Greek verb is, is used. It's used not only in terms of effort in straining in other in other forms, the word also implies the value of continual practice. As we exercise those physical muscles, those spiritual muscles, so they grow. What we feed, what we strive for, grows. Practice. You know, the negative is so powerful in our culture today. Don't you agree? We're tempted to feed the negative beast every day. In traffic. I mean... I mean, every time we, we, you know, we're feeding that negative beast. That person cut me off. Even our church, we want to look back and see the failures. And as those of you who've been around here a long time, there's been lots of challenges. There's been a lot of challenges. I believe. That the word God has for us today is, in, is not in my house. Not in my house. We will not feed the beast. Not in my house. Not in God's house. Not in this place that has been consecrated for the use of Jesus Christ and for the, for the, for the building up of the followers of Christ. Not in this house. No more. We will feed the Holy Spirit. 
We will look to the possibilities. We will use what God has taught us to move forward to the great future that God is preparing for us, the new future, not in my house. And, and you know, this, it's, it's not just about the church. It's about our lives. I, I would encourage you when you go home today that you say these words when you walk in the door, not in my house. Can you say that? Not in my house. I will not feed the beast. Not in my house. When you go to work tomorrow or school, say the words, not in this house. I will no longer feed the beast. I'll feed what brings life. Not in God's house. Um, I'm, uh, when I was in the eighth grade, uh, we, we only lived in this house for a year, and uh, across the alley, there was a family there, and there was a, I have to admit, there was a little girl, I think she was a year younger than me. We actually dated when we were in college. Um, and, uh, she was really cute. And so I spent a lot of time over there, and I noticed her dad limped. And I said to her one day, I said, your dad limps. I said, did he have an accident or something? She said, no, he's pretty much limped all his life. I said, really? Anyway, it was a couple of months later that she was going to a track meet. And I said, you run track? Girls run track? I was in the eighth grade. And she said, yeah, my dad makes me. He was an Olympian. And I thought she was kidding. I mean, here's this guy that limps. He's limped all of his life. How could he be an Olympian? It was a few weeks later that my dad took me to hear Thane Baker speak. And he told his story. When he was in the ninth grade, he was helping his dad do some framing. And as he was nailing a piece of the nail came off and because of the force of the hammer, it hit his left knee and drove into the patella. He was rushed to the hospital. Of course, this was back during the war. And so the, you know, the doctors were saying, if we do surgery, we could cripple him. We, we think that he can live with it. Let's just play it by ear. He was a freshman at the time, and <laughs> there were two things about, about his injury. One was that this leg, or, or this leg, grew longer than the other. The other was, when he ran, he didn't limp, and it didn't hurt. As a junior in high school, he joined the track team. He wasn't very good. I mean, he was... Had one leg shorter than the other. <laughs> he went to Kansas State and tried to walk on, and he had his coach from high school call uh, Coach Hewlett there at Kansas State at the time to, to give him a recommendation. And he found out later the recommendation was he's not very fast, <laughs> but he'll be great for your team because he's got a big heart. And he works hard. Well, one day Hewitt was watching Baker run the curve and realized 
that with that leg shorter than the other, it was like he was running straight ahead. And so he thought, you know, I can use him on the relays. And Hewitt began to work with him. And the more that Hewitt worked with him and the more that Hewitt believed in him, the faster Baker got. He told the story that from that year, his times began to drop each year. And and not only did uh, he eventually at his zenith in 1956 at the Melbourne Olympics um, tie the world record in the 200 meters, but also won a medal in the 100 meters. In his career, he won four medals. He tied the world record in both the 100 and the 200 meters. All because he never let the past define him. I, I, my dad got him to work with me. Somehow my dad thought I'd be fast or something. I don't know. It's really kind of crazy when you think about it. And I asked him one time, I said, Here, here's this eighth grader, you know, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, here's this guy that limps, you know, and he's fast. There's bound to be a secret somewhere, you know. And so I said, what do I, what do I need to do? What do I need to know? And this is what he said. You have to have heart. You don't just get fast overnight. Believe in yourself and to never look back. Be patient. Keep working. Believe and never give up. I was never fast, but I never forgot those words. What we feed grows. God has a, is preparing a new future for us. What we feed grows. And third, when we look at the passage, this is the emphasis. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Great passage. Memorize it. But notice here that this is not just about pressing toward the goal But the Greek, the way that it's formed here, it's about finishing. It's as if Paul is saying it's not how you start, but how you finish that counts. Press on toward the goal for the prize and the heavenly call of Christ. He uses the word scopon. Scopon, from which we get scope, microscope. It's what brings the smallest details into focus. And when we look through the scope, we can see nothing else but the goal, but what we're focused on. Everything else blurs. What Paul is saying to us is is that our complete focus at the expense of everything else is upon Christ Jesus. Paul further uses the word dioko, which means to pursue without fail until you get it. (laughs) To pursue without fail until you get it. Paul knows 
from his own experience. There'll be failures, there'll be disappointments, there'll be heartache. That's the nature of a broken world. That's, that's who we are. And I, I, I admit, I got to admit to you, I've been there. I have, I've had the dark night of the soul in my own life, so full of guilt and remorse and, and brokenness that I was paralyzed by my past. And I, I, I did not think that I could go on. But God wasn't done with me yet. And through colleagues like Phil Mercer, who's here this morning, a pastor, and, and others who encouraged me and lifted me up and prayed with me and, 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 and sat with me and, and, and reminded me of God's forgiveness, of God's love, and, and, and it reminded me in repentance, we leave that behind and we go forward. And I begin to remember this passage is not how we start. It's how we finish that counts. It's how we finish. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. My guess is that we're in a lot of different places today. My guess is that um, some of you are really struggling in life. And there may be others of you that are in a really good place. And God may be calling you to look around, as I've said before, and to be led to those persons who are hurting. But I do know this, that in the midst of the race, no matter what happens, how deep the fall, the injury, the, the failure, it's not about that. It's about how we finish. I, I found a couple of videos and um, I, I want to share them with you. Um, they're racing videos. And um, the first one is a, is a video about a, a young woman at the Big Ten Championships. And so watch and see what happens. She was supposed to win the race. Lucky she wasn't injured. Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Dorton is flying down the back She stretch. is she catching is, up. She is going to catch Von Dor, and she may catch the leader. Wow. Wow. She's got Von. This is a gutsy effort by Dorton. Don't you just love that? That's just amazing. She didn't give up. She said later when she watched the video, she said, if I had known I'd fallen that bad, I would not have gotten up. It's inspiring to see Heather Dornadin recover from falling and come out victorious. But we all know that's not what usually happens. We know those times 
when we fall and the thought of, of coming in first is impossible. When finishing is all we have. Of staying the course of, of the future that God has for us. Of leaving behind and to feed that which God has given to us. It's in those moments that the presence of God carries us, stands with us, when our brothers and sisters in Christ hold us. When finishing has its own victory. I think this was Paul's message. Oh, Heather, that's a cool deal. But you know, it's not life. Maybe once in a while. I think instead this next video illustrates what Paul's trying to tell us. Derek Redman was um, the favorite to win the 400 meters in the 92 Olympics. He didn't win, but he'll be forever remembered for his finish. We have a father that will never give up on us. Never. So remember this. God is preparing a new future for this church and our lives. What we feed grows, so let us practice, practice, practice. And it's how you finish that counts. Therefore, let us keep the faith.